Chapter Sixteen of the Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Sixteen: Madame Giry's Astounding Revelations as to Her Personal Relations with the Opera Ghost. Before following the commissary into the manager's office. I must describe certain extraordinary occurrences that took place in that office which Remy and Mercier had vainly tried to enter, and into which Messieurs Richard and Montgermain had locked themselves with an object which the reader does not yet know, but which it is my duty as a historian to reveal without further postponement. I have had the occasion to say that the manager's mood had undergone a disagreeable change for some time past, and to convey the fact that this change was not due only to the fall of the chandelier on the famous night of the gala performance. The reader must know that the ghost had calmly been paid his first twenty thousand francs. Oh, there had been wailing and gnashing of teeth, indeed, and yet the thing had happened as simply as could be. One morning the managers found on their table an envelope addressed to Monsieur O.G., private, and accompanied by a note from O.G. himself. The time has come to carry out the clause in the memorandum book. Please put twenty notes of a thousand francs each into this envelope, seal it with your own seal, and hand it to Mademoiselle Giray, who will do what is necessary. The managers did not hesitate. Without wasting time in asking how these confounded communications came to be delivered in an office which they were careful to keep locked, they seized this opportunity of laying hands on the mysterious blackmailer. And after telling the whole story, under the promise of secrecy, to Gabriel and Mercier, they put the twenty thousand francs into the envelope and, without asking for explanations, handed it to Madame Giry, who had been reinstated in her functions. The box-keeper displayed no astonishment. I need hardly say that she was well watched. She went straight to the ghost's box and placed the precious envelope on the little shelf attached to the ledge. The two managers, as well as Gabriel and Mercier, were hidden in such a way that they did not lose sight of the envelope for a second during the performance, and even afterward, for as the envelope had not moved, those who watched it did not move either, and Madame Giry went away while the managers, Gabriel and Mercier, were still there. At last they became tired of waiting and opened the envelope after ascertaining that the seals had not been broken. At first sight, Richard and Montcharmin thought that the notes were still there, but soon they perceived that they were not the same. The twenty real notes were gone and had been replaced by twenty notes of the Bank of St. Farce. The managers' rage and fright were unmistakable. Montgermain wanted to send for the commissary of police, but Richard objected. He had, no doubt, a plan, for he said, Don't let us make ourselves ridiculous, or Paris will laugh at us. Ochi has won the first game. We will win the second. He was thinking of the next month's allowance. Nevertheless, they had been so absolutely tricked that they were bound to suffer a certain dejection, and upon my word it was not difficult to understand. We must not forget that the managers had an idea at the back of their minds all the time that this strange incident might be an unpleasant practical joke on the part of their predecessors, and that it would not do to divulge it prematurely. On the other hand, 
Montcharmin was sometimes troubled with a suspicion of Richard himself, who occasionally took fanciful whims into his head. And so they were content to await events, while keeping an eye on Mother Géry. Richard would not have her spoken to. "'If she is a confederate,' he said, "'the notes are gone long ago, but in my opinion she is merely an idiot.' "'She's not the only idiot in this business.' said Montgermain pensively. Well, who could have thought it? moaned Richard. But don't be afraid. Next time I shall have taken my precautions. The next time fell on the same day that beheld the disappearance of Christine Daillet. In the morning a note from the ghost reminded them that the money was due. It read, the time has come to carry out the clause in the memorandum book. Please put twenty notes of a thousand francs each into this envelope. Seal it with your own seal, and hand it to Mademoiselle Giret, who will do what is necessary. And the note was accompanied by the usual envelope. They had only to insert the notes. This was done about half an hour before the curtain rose on the first act of Faust. Richard showed the envelope to Montcharmin. Then he counted the twenty thousand franc notes in front of him and put the notes into the envelope, but without closing it. And now, he said, let's have Motogiri in. The old woman was sent for. She entered with a sweeping curtsy. She still wore her black taffeta dress, the color of which was rapidly turning to rust and lilac to say nothing of the dingy bonnet. She seemed in a good temper. She at once said, "'Good evening, gentlemen. It's for the envelope, I suppose?' "'Yes, Madame Guiry,' said Richard, most amiably. "'For the envelope. And something else besides?' "'At your service, Monsieur Richard. At your service. And what is the something else, please?' First of all, Madame Guiry, I have a little question to put to you. By all means, Monsieur Richard, Madame Jury is here to answer you. Are you still on good terms with the ghost? Couldn't be better, sir. Couldn't be better. Ah, we are delighted. Look here, Madame Guerry, said Richard, in the tone of making an important confidence. We may just as well tell you, among ourselves, you're no fool. Why, sir? exclaimed the box-keeper, stopping the pleasant nodding of the black feathers in her dingy bonnet. I assure you no one has ever doubted that. We are quite agreed, and we shall soon understand one another. The story of the ghost is all humbug, isn't it? Well, still between ourselves, it has lasted a long enough. Madame Géry looked at the managers as though they were talking Chinese. She walked up to Richard's table and asked rather anxiously, what do you mean? I don't understand. Oh, you understand quite well. In any case, you've got to understand. And first of all, tell us his name. Whose name? The name of the man whose accomplice you are, Madame Jury. I am the ghost's accomplice. I? His accomplice in what, pray? You do all he wants. Oh, he's not very troublesome, you know. And does he still tip you? I mustn't complain. How much does he give you for bringing him that envelope? Ten francs. You poor thing. That's not much, is it? Why? I'll tell you that presently, Madame Guerry, just now, we should like to know for what extraordinary reason 
you have given yourself body and soul to this ghost. Madame Gerry's friendship and devotion are not to be bought for five francs or ten francs. That's true enough, and I can tell you the reason, sir. There's no disgrace about it. On the contrary. We are quite sure of that, Madame Gerry. Well, it's like this. Only the ghost doesn't like me to talk about his business. Indeed, sneered Richard. But this is a matter that concerns myself alone. Well, it was in box five one evening. I found a letter addressed to myself, a sort of note written in red ink. I needn't read the letter to you, sir. I know it by heart, and I shall never forget it if I live to be a hundred. And Madame Giry, drawing herself up, recited the letter with touching eloquence. Madame, eighteen twenty five, Mademoiselle Menetrier, leader of the ballet, became Marquise de Cusset. eighteen thirty two, Mademoiselle Marie Taglioni, a dancer, became Comtesse Gilbert des Voissons. eighteen forty six, Lesota, a dancer, married a brother of the King of Spain. eighteen forty seven, Lola Montes a dancer, became the morganatic wife of King Louis of Bavaria, and was created Countess of Lansfeld. 1848. Mademoiselle Maria, a dancer, became Baron de Arnville. 1870. Teresa Hessier, a dancer, married Dom Fernando, brother to the King of Portugal. Richard and Montcharmin listened to the old woman, who, as she proceeded with the enumeration of these glorious nuptials, swelled out, took courage, and at last, in a voice bursting with pride, flung out the last sentence of the prophetic letter. 1885. Meg Giri, Empress. Exhausted by this supreme effort, the box-keeper fell into a chair, saying, Gentlemen, the letter was signed. Opera Ghost. I had heard much of the ghost, but only half believed in him. From the day when he declared that my little Meg, the flesh of my flesh, the fruit of my womb, would be empress, I believed in him altogether. And really it was not necessary to make a long study of Madame Giry's excited features to understand what could be got out of that fine intellect with the two words ghost and empress. But who pulled the strings of that extraordinary puppet? That was the question. You have never seen him. He speaks to you, and you believe all he says? asked Montcharmin. Yes. To begin with, I owe it to him that my little Meg was promoted to be the leader of a row. I said to the ghost, If she is to be empress in 1885, there is no time to lose. She must become a leader at once. He said, Look upon it as done. And he had only a word to say to Monsieur Poligny, and the thing was done. So you see that Monsieur Poligny saw him? No. Not any more than I did, but he heard him. The ghost said a word in his ear, you know, on the evening when he left box five, looking so dreadfully pale. Montcharmin heaved a sigh. <sighs> what a business. He groaned. Ah, said Madame Giry. I always thought there were secrets between the ghost and Monsieur Poligny. Anything that the ghost asked Monsieur Poligny to do, Monsieur Poligny did. Monsieur Poligny could refuse the ghost nothing. You hear, Richard? Poligny could refuse the ghost nothing. Yes, yes, I hear, said Richard. Monsieur Poligny is a friend of the ghost, and as Madame Guéry is a friend of Monsieur Poligny, says we are. 
but i don't care a hang about monsieur poligny he added roughly the only person whose fate really interests me is madame Guerry. madame Guerry, do you know what is this envelope why of course not she said well look madame Giry looked into the envelope with a lacklustre eye which soon recovered its brilliancy thousand franc notes she cried yes madame Guerry, thousand franc notes and you knew it i sir i i swear don't swear madame Guerry. and now i will tell you the second reason why i sent for you madame Guerry. I am going to have you arrested the two black feathers on the dingy bonnet which usually affected the attitude of two notes of interrogation changed into two notes of exclamation as for the bonnet itself it swayed in menace on the old lady's tempestuous chignon surprise indignation protest and dismay were furthermore displayed by little meg's mother in a sort of extravagant moment of offended virtue half bound half slide that brought her right under the nose of monsieur richard who could not help pushing back his chair have me arrested the mouth that spoke those words seemed to spit the three teeth that were left in it into richard's face monsieur richard behaved like a hero he retreated no farther his threatening forefinger seemed already to be pointing out the keeper of box five to the absent magistrates i am going to have you arrested madame Guerry, as a thief say that again and madame Giry caught mr manager richard a mighty box on the ear before monsieur manager montcharmin had time to intervene but it was not the withered hand of the angry old beldame that fell on the managerial ear but the envelope itself the cause of all the trouble the magic envelope that opened with the blow scattering the banknotes which escaped in a fantastic whirl of giant butterflies the two managers gave a shout and the same thought made them both go on their knees feverishly picking up and hurriedly examining the precious scraps of paper are they still genuine mon chamin are they still genuine richard yes, yes they, they are, are still, still genuine. genuine above their heads madame Giry's three teeth were clashing in a noisy contest full of hideous interjections but all that could be clearly distinguished was this leitmotif i a thief i a thief i she choked with rage she shouted i never heard of such a thing and suddenly she darted up to richard again in any case she yelped you monsieur richard ought to know better than i where the twenty thousand francs went to i asked richard astounded and how should i know Montcharmin, looking severe and dissatisfied, at once insisted that the good lady should explain herself. What does this mean, Madame Jury? he asked. And why do you say that Monsieur Richard ought to know better than you where the twenty thousand francs went to? As for Richard, who felt himself turning red under Montcharmin's eyes, he took Madame Jury by the wrist and shook it violently. In a voice growling and rolling like thunder, he roared. Why should I know better than you where the twenty thousand francs went to? Why? answer me because they went into your pocket gasped the old woman looking at him as if he were the devil incarnate richard would have rushed upon madame Giry if montgermain had not stayed his avenging hand and hastened to ask her more gently how can you suspect my partner monsieur richard for putting twenty thousand francs in his pocket i never said that declared madame Giry, seeing that it was myself who put the twenty thousand francs into monsieur richard's pocket and she added under her voice there it's out and may the ghost forgive me 
Richard began bellowing anew, but Montchermain authoritatively ordered him to be silent. Allow me, allow me. Let the woman explain herself. Let me question her. And he added, It is really astonishing that you should take up such a tone. We are on the verge of clearing up the whole mystery, and you're in a rage. You're wrong to behave like that. I'm enjoying myself immensely. Madame Giry, like the martyr that she was, raised her head, her face beaming with faith in her own innocence. You tell me there were twenty thousand francs in the envelope which I put into Monsieur Richard's pocket. But I tell you again that I knew nothing about it. Nor Monsieur Richard either, for that matter. Ha uh -huh. said Richard, suddenly assuming a swaggering air which Montcharmin did not like. I knew nothing either. You put twenty thousand francs in my pocket, and I knew nothing either. I am very glad to hear it, Madame Guerry. Yes, the terrible dame agreed. Yes, it's true. We neither of us knew anything. But you, you must have ended by finding out. Richard would certainly have swallowed Madame Giry alive if Montcharmin had not been there. But Montcharmin protected her. He resumed the questions. What sort of envelope did you put in Monsieur Richard's pocket? It was not the one which we gave you, the one which you took to box five before our eyes. And yet that was the one which contained the twenty thousand francs. I beg your pardon. The envelope which Monsieur le Directeur gave me was the one which I slipped into Monsieur le Directeur's pocket. Explained Madame Giry. The one which I took to the ghost box was another envelope, just like it, which the ghost gave me beforehand, and which I hid up my sleeve. So saying, Madame Giry took from her sleeve an envelope ready prepared and similarly addressed to that containing the twenty thousand francs. The managers took it from her. They examined it, and saw that it was fastened with seals stamped with their own managerial seal. They opened it. It contained twenty Bank of St. Farce notes like those which had so much astounded them the month before. "'How simple!' said Richard. "'How simple!' repeated Montcharmin, and he continued with his eyes fixed upon Madame Giry, as though trying to hypnotize her. "'So, it was the ghost who gave you this envelope, and told you to substitute it for the one which we gave you?' and it was the ghost who told you to put the other into Monsieur Richard's pocket? Yes, it was the ghost. Then would you mind giving us a specimen of your little talents? Here is the envelope. Act as though we knew nothing. As you please, gentlemen. Madame Giry took the envelope with the twenty notes inside it and made for the door. She was on the point of going out when the two managers rushed at her. Oh, oh no, oh no. We're, We're not, not going, going to be done, to be done, done a second, second time. time. Once, Once bitten, bitten, twice shy. shy. I beg your pardon, gentlemen said the old woman in self-excuse you told me to act as though you knew nothing well if you knew nothing i should go away with your envelope and then how would you slip it into my pocket argued richard whom montchamin fixed with his left eye while keeping his right on madame giry a proceeding likely to strain his sight but montchamin was prepared to go to any length to discover the truth i am to slip it into your pocket when you least expect it sir you know that I always take a little turn behind the scenes, in the course of the evening, and I often go with my daughter to the ballet foyer, which I am entitled to do, as her mother. I bring her her shoes, when the ballet is about to begin. In fact, I come and go as I please. The subscribers come and go, too. So do you, sir. There are lots of people about. I go behind you, and slip the envelope into the tail-pocket of your dress-coat. There's no witchcraft about that. No witchcraft? growled Richard, rolling his eyes like Jupiter Tonans. No witchcraft! Why, I've just caught you in a lie, you 
old witch madame Cherie bristled with her three teeth sticking out of her mouth and why may i ask because i spent that evening watching box five and the sham envelope which you put there i did not go to the ballet foyer for a second no sir and i did not give you the envelope that evening but at the next performance on the evening when the under-secretary of state for fine arts at these words Monsieur Richard suddenly interrupted Madame Géry. Yes, that's true. I remember now. The undersecretary went behind the scenes. He asked me. I went down to the ballet foyer for a moment. I saw on the foyer steps the undersecretary and his chief clerk were in the foyer itself. I suddenly turned around. You had passed behind me, Madame Géry. You seemed to push against me. Oh! i can see you still i can see you still yes that's it sir that's it i had just finished my little business that pocket of yours sir is very handy and madame Géry once more suited the action to the word she passed behind monsieur richard and so nimbly that montcharmin himself was impressed by it slipped the envelope into the pocket of one of the tails of monsieur richard's dress coat of course examined richard turning a little pale it's very clever ogie the problem which he had to solve was this how to do away with any dangerous intermediary between the man who gives the twenty thousand francs and the man who receives it and by far the best thing he could hit upon was to come and take the money from my pocket without my noticing it as i myself did not know that it was there it's wonderful oh wonderful no doubt montcharmin agreed only you forget richard that i provided ten thousand francs of the twenty and that nobody put anything in my pocket End of chapter sixteen